Welcome to the Obesity Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Matea Rentia, board certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine. Here, we talk about a path to metabolic health, and we have real conversations about chronic weight management and living a full life. Just a reminder, I am a physician, but I'm not your physician. So everything that's on this podcast is for informational purposes, but please go talk to your doctor about what's right for you. There is no medical advice being given on this podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, I have an interview that is absolute dynamite. I have on Dr. Sasha High. She's an internist and obesity medicine physician that is located in Canada, and she incorporates as part of her clinical practice a lot of coaching, really empowering women. And today, the reason I brought her on is because some of these comments and topics that we're going to be addressing, she actually helped educate me on. So Sasha has been around for a long time. She's actually a mentor of mine. She's really helped me to develop a lot of the things within my own program, and I have just learned so much from her. And so today, we're really going to talk about this question that we get all the time if we're an obesity medicine physician, which is, how do you set a goal weight? Or should I set a goal weight? So we both have lots of thoughts on this. (laughs) Spoiler alert, it might not be the best approach for you. And we're going to go over why. And then we're also going to talk about something that is not mentioned very often within the weight loss community, which is that initially, when you start on some of these injection GLP-1 weight loss medications, a lot of what I'm going to call the food chatter, the thoughts about food go down, but then they do sometimes end up coming back actually quite often. And we talk about kind of when do we see that happening and why do we think it's so important for you to be doing some of the cognitive behavioral work as well, maybe even before you start the medications so that you're not caught off guard when you're in a very vulnerable position when that time comes. So we're going to dig into all of this. I think these are two topics that are not addressed enough, but they're so super common. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this. You can always reach out on any social. I always have the links down below. And again, if you're loving this, please make sure that you hit subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening right now and leave us a review. It really helps us to get the word out. Hope you enjoy this episode. So I'm so excited right now to be talking to Dr. Sasha High. I actually have some background with Dr. Sasha High. She is amazing. I actually consider her a mentor. Dr. High, you have been in this space much longer than me. I respect so much your opinions and your thoughts on this. And you have helped form actually a lot of how I practice. So first of all, I want to start by saying thank you for spending this time with me. And do you want to just start out? I know this might go out on your podcast as well, but just telling everybody who you are and and who you help. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I love that we get to do this together. So my name is Sasha. Hi, I'm an internist based in Toronto in Canada and an obesity medicine physician. I've been practicing obesity medicine since 2012. So it's been a long time. And over time I've pivoted and grown my own program originally called high metabolic clinic. And now we have best weight with Sasha high MD. And we've incorporated a combination of coaching and medicine to support women who struggle with maladaptive eating patterns, like maybe they're mindlessly eating, they're emotionally eating, as well as women who already know what they want to be doing, but are struggling with implementation. And so we really help them to build that empowered mindset and feel really confident that they know how to implement and overcome barriers in their lives. And so we have a program that's available across Canada with physicians in every province. And then our coaching program is available worldwide as well. And our connection is that Mateo was one of the amazing uh, coaches in our program for an entire year last year. And our clients benefited so much from her expertise and her coaching. So um, I love our friendship and I love that we've been able to work together. 
I, and so thank you for saying all of that. It's basically, if you guys don't know, she's helping people comprehensively to get to their metabolic health goals, right? Because I think everybody thinks like it's just about losing weight and it's anyone can lose weight doing a lot of crazy things, yeah. but it's how can you do it in such a way that you're loving yourself, you're listening yeah. to yourself in a different way, you're actually getting to some metabolic health goals. It's actually really complicated. And mm -hmm. I think that if programs are not like what you're talking about and what I offer as well, you don't actually get all of that. So you're sort of like lopsided when you leave. It's like the table that's missing a leg. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good way so, of putting it. So the reason I wanted to have this conversation, I'm so glad we're going to talk today is because I got a comment on social and I literally thought I need to talk to Dr. High about this because this is what you talk about all the time. So I'm just going to read the comment that I got. And I'm wondering if we can just have a conversation. I think it's going to be really helpful for a lot of people. So Someone left a comment on one of my videos. Do you have a strategy with your patients to find a quote unquote goal weight? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And I know that we like think similarly about this. So I'm so glad we're talking about it. Um, we really have to work to, I think, drop the idea of a goal weight. And I know this is, this is like contentious, right? There's a lot of programs who are like, absolutely, like choose your goal weight and then we're going to work down to it. And, you know, it's about tracking, like how much weight have you lost? And I just don't subscribe to that philosophy. So the reason why is that we mistakenly believe that we have the ability to manipulate our bodies down to a number, right? And that's just not the reality, right? Our weight is influenced by so many different things. And I know you talk about this in your social and your podcast, but it's not that we have total control over exactly what number that's going to be. Otherwise it would be like, well, why, why don't you just weigh 150 pounds tomorrow? Right? Like if that was how that worked and it's really not. So I think that is a mentality that has been really driven by diet culture that we either target a number on the scale or we target a BMI, right? And I think that's also dangerous too, of like, this is what a healthy BMI is. And so if we're treating obesity, we're trying to get everyone to a healthy BMI. And the reality is like, no, that's not actually what we're doing. When we're treating obesity as a chronic medical condition, we're looking at how can we overall improve this person's health function, mental health, really support them in living their best life. And it may not at all be realistic for them ever to reach a normal or healthy BMI, right? And so we really have to drop these artificial targets. And what we teach is the concept of best weight. And best weight is whatever number your body ends up at when you are doing the parts that you actually have control over. So you're operating from a place of confidence and an empowered mindset of knowing that you're supporting yourself in a loving and self-compassionate way. You've created an eating plan and a lifestyle that you love that's sustainable. And then you're working on what I describe as the core competencies, which is consistency, sustainability, and resilience. And when you're doing those things, plus or minus getting the medical treatment that you may need, which could be medication or it could be bariatric surgery, then you kind of take your hands off of the scale and you let your body do its thing at that point. Beautiful. It's like, does everyone hear this? We don't make it about the scale because once you're doing all those things that you're talking about, your body will naturally decide where it is loving and willing to go. Exactly. And I think that that's something I, I love that I feel like you were the one that actually taught me this best. It's that your body is going to see where it can get to. And I often say, I think it's more harmful than helpful when you set one of these rigid numbers. Yeah. You know, maybe sometimes it can kind of anchor you. Okay. I'd like to lose 20 because of XYZ. But to say, I mean, I often meet with new patients and let's say their starting weight is 250 and they might tell me, I want to be 130. 
because that's what I was pre-children in high school. Like that's this different land that they're describing. And I'm not negating that experience, but it's not helpful where they're at to set that up because what if we can't achieve that? And I don't know that that's the best version to go toward. And so I like to say to patients, what are the things you actually want to do? Why do you want to lose the weight, right? Mm -hmm. So it's usually they want to be able to go on hikes. They want to go, a big one that I hear from my patients, they want to go to Disneyland. Like they want to be able to go to an activity resort and walk around all day, be with the kids, the grandkids. Like it's about life. They want to not have as much joint pain. None of that is happening because of a number on the scale. It's happening because of changes you're making. And we don't know when that point's going to be for you. And I see this often show up and I'm wondering your thoughts on this, this like last 10 pounds conversation Mm. where people, they contort themselves to high heaven to like get to this number and if they don't feel good at all. And then the disordered eating starts to kick in, right? Do you see this? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I've said this too, like if you just, let's just all step back for a second. Like when you are on your deathbed at 90, 95, are you going to be like, oh gosh, I didn't lose the last 10 pounds. Like no one cares. It doesn't matter. And yet we get just caught up in this, I don't know, societal construct that we have to like fit a certain size or look a certain way. And it just consumes our life. And I will see women. I work mainly with women. We have some male clients too, but particularly for women, their life is consumed by thoughts of like, I have to fit this shape and I have to lose those 10 pounds. And it just occupies every part of their mind and influences their mood. And now they're not showing up the way they want to. And they're so ingrained in like that diet mentality that if I don't get to this number, then it's not a success. And it's just so damaging. Like it doesn't matter at the end of the day, what we want you to do is live your life, right? Live your life in the healthiest way, feeling great, having the energy that you want with really great mental health as well. That matters so much more. What does it matter if you get to this number, but then every day you wake up and all you can think about is the calories you need to track and the food you need to weigh and what you can't eat and how deprived you are. And, you know, all these obsessive thoughts, like that is not living, right? That's not a fun life for anyone. It's not a life I've taken back to the first time I really tried to lose weight was in college. And I think I maybe lost like, I forget if it was 50 or 60 pounds, but I was doing crazy low calorie numbers. I was at the gym two hours every day. I constantly felt like I was going to lose control. I was like, I don't know if I can make it through the day, you know? And I think maybe my body weight is a little bit higher right now. Like relatively, I still lost weight, but I'm like, but every day feels easy. And I will take that any day over what it took back in the day to lose that weight in that way. I just couldn't live my life daily doing that. So it's just an interesting place when you decide what are the actual priorities here. And usually it's never actually the scale. So I'm glad that we've kind of opened that up. I think something else that I wonder about, because I don't hear anyone talking about it. You're the only one online. So let's let's talk about it here. You know, there are a lot of people that are on these anti-obesity medications. So let's just talk about like a newer the sub Q, the injection, like once a week, things like that, like Ozempic, or if you're in the States, Wagovi, things like that. And what people think is that they're going to do that. And then they're not ever again, going to have any food drama or any thoughts that they don't like themselves or anything like that. And what we tend to see, but I want you to elaborate on this is that a lot of those thoughts sometimes can come back once they've been on it for a while. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Cause I think you have some interesting thoughts there. Yeah. Let's talk about two different things. There's your body thoughts and then there's the food thoughts. On the body thought side, and I'm sure you've had patients like this, so many women think if I just hit my goal weight, then I'll love my body. And I'll be like, okay, well, when were you at that goal weight, right? Like at some point in your life, you were at that weight. 
<laughs> and they can think back and they're like, oh yeah, at that point I was still dieting. I, I still thought I had to lose weight at that size. If only I could get back there. And it's like, you hated your body then and you hate your body now. And what makes you think you're suddenly going to like have a different brain that now loves your body just because you lose weight? Like how we think doesn't change, right? So unless we're doing that thought work that you and I are so passionate about, which is really you know, empowering your thinking, right? Changing your mindset in a way that's going to support you in your life and help you thrive. The weight loss doesn't do that for you, right? So if you have body dysmorphia, body dissatisfaction, that is a separate thing from weight loss and weight loss doesn't fix it. So that's kind of the body thoughts. I'll just pause if you want to like talk about that. I was going to say, I wanted to be like, can we just marinate on this for a second that weight loss isn't going to solve that? I I like how you just broke that down. Guys, it's not going to solve if you have dissatisfaction thoughts about your body, weight loss will not solve it. I spoke to someone the other day and she was like, oh yeah, like at some point I lost a hundred pounds. She had had bariatric surgery and she's like, but thinking back, I was never satisfied. It was never enough. I always hated my body. I just always saw my body the same way. It's like, yes, because it's not about the weight loss. It's about how you are thinking about your body, right? Like your relationship with your body is entirely based on what you're thinking about it. So if you are thinking really negative things all the time, that's going to continue regardless of whether you lose weight or not, right? Real quick, do you have any like resources that you point women to if that's work that they want to start to do? Obviously, they can go work with you, but are there any like books or like workbooks or podcasts or anything where people can be helped with that area because I think it is a big area to kind of dig into? you did a really good coaching call that I refer people to inside our program (laughs) on body dissatisfaction last year. Yeah. I don't know offhand of resources that I would suggest. I mean, everyone goes on social media, right? There are some great accounts of women just celebrating being healthy in their body. And I'm thinking Alex Light. I don't know if you're familiar with her. The Nude Nutritionist is another one on Instagram. And I just love her messaging as well. So I don't know that I have good book recommendations, but if we're going to be spending a whole lot of time on social media, cleaning up our feeds is a really great place to start in terms of body acceptance and getting rid of what you're feeding your brain is acceptable about a woman's body and what a woman's body should look like, right? Because if we're just consuming that all day long, of course, that's what your brain's going to be thinking about. So I love that. Okay. That's such a good starting place. And maybe I think when this goes live, I'll put a few links down below the two you're talking about and then some other ones. Yeah. What I like with social too, I'm really big into this. Like you said, the cleaning up the feet, I call it the detox, like get rid of all the people that are triggering. There's no universe why you need to be triggered 24 seven. We're in a modern world, get rid of it. And then the other thing is it's diversity of what you're looking at. If you're not ever seeing yourself represented, it's a problem because you don't have what's possible. So if you are living in a larger body, I come back to this because a lot of my clients are like me and you need to see that other people are able to exercise at that weight. Go find some inclusive channels, start to immerse yourself in. I'm not limited at the size. I can still work on my health and I can do things, but I can still do a lot of things at this weight. And so I think that starts to break this disconnect between I can't live my life at this weight. Not true. Things might benefit if some weight is released, if you so choose, but that doesn't need to be the number one top priority. So anyway, so you said number yeah. one was thoughts about yeah, your body. So we, we were talking about in the context is like the GLP-1 medications and the food thoughts and the body thoughts. So we talked about the body thoughts in terms of the food thoughts. And you're right. This is a piece that isn't talked about. When you first start Ozempic, we go Manjaro, whatever it is for many people. And it's not going to be a universal experience for many people. It's like, oh my gosh, a switch went off in my brain. I never think about food. I have no emotional eating. Like I'm never hungry. It's all gone. Right. And they love that. And that lasts, you know, six months, eight months, if you're lucky a year, if you're really, really lucky, most commonly I see it like six month mark, but the food thoughts come back. Right. And 
that's where for many people, the emotional eating might start creeping up again. If they're not prepared for that. It can be very anxiety inducing because all of a sudden this thing that they thought was going to be the miracle, it's like, oh my gosh, like the rails are going off again. Like what, what's going to happen? I'm just going to regain the weight again. And I think this part needs to be talked about more so, right? Because what happens a lot of times is then people will stop the medication, then they regain the weight. And then they're like, yeah, well, that medication, well, now it's like the whole rumor of like, you regain double when you go off these medications. It's like, number one, these are long-term medications indicated for a chronic medical condition. So let's start with that expectation when we're starting these medications. And number two, yeah, it doesn't work if you're not taking it. And number three, like actually it was probably still working but it's not the miracle. These are great tools. These are good tools. And you and I are both supportive of using anti-obesity medications in appropriate context for the right patient, the right time, but they're not the be all and end all. Like There's just no magic pill or injection here. And that's where we still have to do the thought work. We still have to learn to regulate our emotions and, and learn how to make space for emotions rather than eating over them. If we're someone who kind of struggles with stress or boredom eating or whatever that looks like. So yeah, I'd love to hear what you have to, to say about this too. So I wrote down a few things because I agree with everything you said. And I think that also there's this panic of like, before people even get on the med, I've got to get on the med real quick because this is the only thing that can help. And while we know that lifestyle change alone, many people will fail just with doing that on their own. Yeah. But sometimes even getting started on doing the thought work before you bring in the meds, yeah. then that way you've already started to kind of marinate on this. Yeah. And then you know when that phase comes, when some of those thoughts might come back, you've already started to practice it before yeah. you had the help with the GLP-1. So exactly. that's what I like to say is like, there's never a bad time to start thought work, <laughs> yeah. to start to learn and yeah. if someone here is listening and they're new to what does thought work mean? I mean, that's like a very, I don't know, it's a term that no one knows. It's really, what do I do when I have a food urge or a craving? So I'm not physically hungry, but I want something. How do you process that? That's called thought work. How yes. do you think differently, process a feeling? What do you do there? And so I think then that anxiety, I hear exactly what you said. If people don't have this work, they come to me and they say, I'm so afraid I'm going to start binging again. Well, they'll say, I'm definitely afraid. That's actually the language that they use. And it's because they finally received some help and now they think they're going to be back in the same spot. So one of the videos that actually got the most comments from me on social ever, and I wasn't expecting this, I said, look, the studies show the weight stays off, but you're sitting there thinking all these new things. But if you stay on the med, the weight stays off, but you still need to do that work. And so that's the part that I think people don't understand. Yes, the weight can stay off, but then you're going to have to manage those same things come back. And unfortunately... I wish there was a simple answer, right? Like just take this pill. It's all good, but mm -hmm. it's not. And I think that's why you, you need these comprehensive approaches where you learn how to manage your thinking, your feeling, how you're showing up in life, how all of that is kind of coming together. So I completely agree. And then also this, this narrative of like, if I stop it, then twice the weight or things like that. I mean, these medications do help a lot. And so I think that's been something too, that hopefully I think me and you are trying to combat that, that these are not quick fixes. Yeah. You don't just kind of take them and then, oh, it's like this quick start language. Have you heard this? Like, I'm going to take it to jumpstart the weight yeah. loss. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what do you think is going to happen when you stop it? So it makes yeah. absolutely no sense. Yeah. So let me ask you how you work with patients. Do you immediately get them on a med or do you sometimes say, Hey, I recommend a month or two, you do this other stuff first. Do you have a preference with how you yeah. work with people? Yeah. This is definitely something that I have strong feelings about from experience. Like we've just kind of learned over doing this for so many years. I always recommend doing the thought work and the emotional regulation work first, because as we said, if you start the medication right away, there's just no need to do any of that work in the beginning. 
It's like, how do I work on my emotional eating when I like don't have any inclination to emotionally eat? Like there's just no impetus to do the thought work and learn these skills. And so then what happens is we're just pushing out hard work to a time when you're even more vulnerable because now you're waiting six months and all of this stuff's coming back and you're afraid and you're having those panic moments where you're, as you said, I'm deathly afraid I'm going to start binging again. That's not a good time. You're not in a good mental space to learn and start doing the work. So it's much more effective to do that in the beginning when you're, for us, when we're working with clients in our program, like, Hey, we're going to really work on this first. We always know medication is available to you. There isn't a rush. If we take that rushed emotion out it is available to you. Let's start introducing the thought work and becoming familiar with like listening to your own brain, which is a brand new skill for most people, right? And emotional regulation, distress, tolerance, all of those skills. And then we bring the medication in later if the client wants that, then we just tend to see better success. And that's why we do it that way because then they're equipped, right? As you said, later on, they're just more equipped to be able to handle all of those food thoughts. And I think my observation is when we don't do this thought work, and this is sort of my beef with some of the medical community, I'm afraid I'm going to get into trouble for saying this, but I think it needs to be said. I think if you don't do the thought work, then when thoughts come back, the answer is, well, let's just slap on another medication. And then we're just chasing our tail by adding and layering more and more medication. And I just, it just goes against my whole philosophy of care to like have this polypharmacy situation, because I think it's not addressing the right issue, right? Like let's empower our patients with the tools that they haven't learned, the cognitive tools, the DBT skills or the CBT skills or whatever that is through coaching. Let's give them those skills and those tools. And yes, use an appropriate medication, but not just approach it as like, oh, okay, this medication is starting to wear off. Let's add another one. Oh, that one's wearing off. Let's add another one. Right. And like, unfortunately I see that. Right. And I think even more so in the States, because you guys have a lot more Medicaid, right. I think it's quite common for people to be on like multiple medications at the same time. And, you know, so number one, totally agree with you, right? Like if there's a nail and you only have a hammer, you're going to get used to that, right? But the other thing, and this is just piggybacking off what you said, when you do it in the way in which you're talking about, you don't give all your power over to the medication. Like, I can't tell you how common this is. I talk to patients and they're, they're thinking like all their results are from the medication. That's not true because you are doing a million things to make that happen. I always say it's like you're making thousands of great decisions every single pound or two that's lost. And so this thought of like when you start at minute one, now now I'll tell you with my patients, it takes a minute to get things approved. So I feel like we can't we can't start minute one on the meds anyway. But But when you already are doing that work, you're starting to empower yourself. Oh yeah, I'm making this happen. You're starting to own your result line versus constantly thinking it's another med, it's another thing. Like this philosophy of everything's always outside of me. Like the doctor is going to give the recommendation. I'm going to follow whatever diet plan. It never lets you figure it out. And that's a problem long-term because life, there will always be another scenario. There's never enough that you can solve to not have new things pop up. And so I totally agree. But you saying you're going to push out, you're going to push out the hard work when you're even more vulnerable. We need to make a bumper sticker of that because the work is easiest in the beginning. But once you've already done the med, then you're scared that, oh my gosh, I'm in the same place. So why not start the work in the beginning so that when you get there, you know, I'm good. I've got tools. I can figure this out. It's potentially an easier road. I see the same thing. The people that don't start doing the work you know, they maybe don't dive into the videos. They don't come to the calls. They don't do the things. I just see that it gets struggle bus, right? And it's like, sometimes we can, we can rehab it. I'm like, come on, come back. Right. But every so often they're like, well, the med didn't work. The work's done. And I'm thinking, oh, I wish I could have helped you more, 
but it's like them realizing that this is going to be part of it. And most people that come to me and you, like they're there, right? Like done with like a medicine's the answer, but we can either do the work now. It's like, are you going to do the work now or later? Hard now, hard later, you get to decide. So often I think people are up for the hard work right in the beginning versus having to push it down the road. (laughs) Totally. You and I know this. I think you try to do this and I try to do this. We're trying to articulate so that people truly understand the mindset work is the most important work that you can do. And I know this from so many, like my most successful patients, it's like completely transforming their lives, right? And like becoming such empowered people and truly getting to that point of thriving are the ones who got it, right? And they get it and they're like, oh my goodness, it actually isn't about the macros and it isn't about the eating plan. It really is how I talk to myself, how I think about myself, how I show up for myself, how I prioritize myself every day. That's all thought work. Right. I just got an email from a client last week and she was like, you know, back when I was 300 pounds, it didn't believe you that like having an empowered mindset was important. I would have given having the body that I wanted any day. But now if it was between the positive mindset I have and the body, I would choose the positive mindset. Right. Cause she gets it. And that's why she's also been so successful. So yeah. It's not magical thinking, right? I think people think when they're working mm-hmm. on this stuff that it's like, we need to be positive about all of it. This is not toxic positivity. I feel like I always need to yeah. throw that in that we're not doing that. Yeah. It's because how we do one thing, we do everything, right? Yeah. So this is what I tell people is like, you're coming to me because of your relationship with food and your health, but that's showing up in your relationships, that's showing up at work. It's the same thing everywhere. So it's really fun. And I bet you see this too, when you start to do the work in one area. So we're going to focus over here on your health and food and body image. But then you're going to notice it's like suddenly all of life is up leveled, right? Like everything is empowered, like you say. So I'm really glad that we got to just start this conversation today that maybe not setting a goal weight might be the most loving thing you ever do. And then looking at not just focusing on medication, but how you can support yourself with multiple tools in other ways as well. So just thank you for coming on today and us starting this conversation. Oh my goodness. This has been so fun. I know we're aligned in our approach and how we want to support people and empower people. So this is really fun. I feel like we could talk for another hour. (laughs) We could. (laughs) So can you tell my listeners real quick, how can they find you if they want to listen to your podcast, find you on social, just everything that's available? Absolutely. I'd love that. So I am at Sasha High MD on all social platforms, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. My podcast is called the High on Life podcast, and that's available on all streaming platforms. And then my website is sashahighmd.com. And I will make sure to have all of that in the show notes down below. Thank you so much. This has been just absolutely amazing. Thanks so much, Matea. This has been lots of fun.